What better time to proclaim the gospel to the entire Jewish world than a Jewish pilgrimage feast? Shavuot is the context here. It was an appointed time on the Jewish calendar, and it was an appointed time in the providence of God in history when the assembly of Jewish men and the coming of the Holy Spirit coincide, and as we know, hundreds and then thousands become believers. It was prophetic promises being fulfilled on a historically appointed date on the Jewish calendar. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. Today, we're going to be talking about Pentecost and Shavuot, which may be a word that you may have never heard before. Um, And we'll be talking about if this is an obscure holiday or if it's a major holiday and get into all the details of that. So let's discuss. Okay, well, Carly, first let's let's talk about the, the Christian holiday known as Pentecost. First of all, that's kind of a funny word. Doesn't really sound English. Is it Latin? Is it Greek? What's going on there? And then my second question is, how is it celebrated in the Christian world? But what what's what does Pentecost even mean for, for our Jewish audience who goes, yeah, I think the Christians do something after Mother's Day and before Father's Day, don't really know what's going on. What's What's up? Yeah, so the word Pentecost literally means the 50th day. And this year it's on Sunday, May 23rd, and it's the 50th day after Easter. Or you could say seven weeks after Passover, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but it's it's detailed in Acts 2, and it's when the Holy Spirit descended upon the followers of Jesus. And there's there's lots of controversy or theological things we could debate about the idea of Pentecost and tongues and the Holy Spirit and and all of that, which we're not going to do right now. But what all Christians can agree is it's when the Holy Spirit came to the first believers. Right. Whether people believe that's just simply a historic biblical thing that happened and no longer has any bearing on life today, or whether people say, no, the Holy Spirit as, as a follower of Jesus is, is very important in my life and my walk with, with the Lord. Uh, we're, we're not getting, we're not wading into those waters today, but we're just trying to talk about the, the, the things that we often do here and what is Pentecost as a, as a Christian holiday have anything to do with the Jewish world. And then what's happening in the Jewish community on the other side of the fence that has some overlap into what Christians might be celebrating. And so Carly, w- growing up, you, you, you originally come from a Catholic background, what did Pentecost look like in the Catholic Church when you were when you were a kid? Really, there wasn't a ton of context. Um, I just remember, and obviously I was much younger and in my childhood at this point, but I just remember Pentecost was when they would hang up like red pieces of fabric, and those pieces of fabric were supposed to represent tongues. And I remember as a child thinking, like literal tongues, like in your mouth, like why are there tongues, you know, hanging? Uh, you know, from the church. And that and that was kind of it. There wasn't like this celebration, but it was like a decoration. And okay, it's Pentecost and it represents tongues. And that was it. I didn't know that it related to Acts 2 or the Holy Spirit or any of that. But that that's kind of my memory from Pentecost. The strength of tradition, right? Yeah. Why are there tongues on the wall? Don't ask that question. I'll call the bishop. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're like, is this a church or is this a butcher shop? There's tongue everywhere. And I think even, you know, in the rest of the Christian world, depending on people, people handle the idea or, if you will, the person of the Holy Spirit so differently from denomination to denomination that it's almost like there's a 
it feels like there's a reluctance to really talk about Pentecost, right? Like if you go to a church and it's Chris, if, if it's Christmas, they're going to say Merry Christmas. And if it's Easter, Happy Easter, or maybe some say Happy Resurrection Day, or He is risen. And then the congregation shouts, He is risen indeed, you know, and then people go home and eat their spiral ham and their lamb butters, if you're into that. But uh, anyway, I digress. But on Pentecost, sometimes you'll go to a church and people don't even mention it. Right. It's like, isn't this a holiday? I see it on the I see it on my Hallmark calendar. It says Pentecost in tiny print. Why do you think that is like, why would this in the line of Christian holidays be maybe under celebrated? Yeah, it's a good question. I can only give my opinion, which part is kind of what we just talked about, which is there's so many denominations that have differing opinions about the Holy Spirit and what that means. Is it something personal that we receive? Is it required for salvation? Is it Was it only given to them? And I think there's many uncertainties about it where it's like Christmas, Jesus was born. Everyone knows that. Easter, Jesus was re- resurrected. Everyone knows that. I think not many in the Christian church are um, educated about what Pentecost is. And so I'm not sure if I would have even asked, you know, as a child that someone would have been able to even explain, you know, oh, this is when the Holy Spirit descended. And even more so, I mean, I'm I'm going to ask the question, I'm sure our regular listeners know I'm going to ask, but did you, did anybody ever talk to you in the Catholic world or, you know, when, when you kind of got into the, the evangelical world later in life, did anybody talk about the Jewish context of Pentecost? Was that even mentioned? Was it discussed? Was it highlighted? No, definitely not. I would say I had never even really heard of Shavuot until I started working at Jewish Voice, nor could I pronounce it even. I always thought it was like Shavout, kind of looks like that. Right. Excuse me. There's a typo. You put the U before the O, go back to third grade. Right. Exactly. So I didn't have any context for it, but Ezra, what is Shavuot and how is it related? Yeah. And, you know, thank you for (laughs) thanks for the setup, because I think part of what we're doing here is trying to connect what are the commonalities that the Christian world has with the Jewish world. Right. And I think one of the things that's missed in really understanding uh, for followers of Jesus, what's going on in the holidays we know so well or in the case of Pentecost, don't really know so well, depends upon our understanding of the Jewish context. And so what many in our Christian audience may not know is that the first Pentecost was actually not just a Jewish holiday, but a major Jewish holiday. And for what many in our Jewish listening audience may not know is that what happened on what the Christians call Pentecost actually fulfilled something that several of our own Hebrew prophets hundreds of years before had prophesied would happen, namely Isaiah, Jeremiah, specifically Joel. Which prophecies, you ask? I'll fill those details in in just a minute. But this is actually the context here, Carly, is is the holiday Shavuot. And in Hebrew, Shavua means week, like seven days is a week, W-E-E-K. So Shavuot, for those who have learned a little modern Hebrew or biblical Hebrew, is just the plural of the word Shavua. So Shavuot just means weeks. And it's interesting because they're both a measure of time, right? In the Christian world, Pentecost, as you said, is 50th day. And Shavuot is weeks. How many weeks, you ask? Well, that comes from the Old Testament. In Exodus and Leviticus, again, in Deuteronomy, when God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt and is giving them commandments about how they're to live set apart to him as a holy people, a priestly people representing his glory to themselves and to the nations, 
he specifically he he says there's going to be a place where I'm going to choose to to put my name. In essence, there's going to be a permanent temple, not a temporary tabernacle that you're carrying around the wilderness today. And we ultimately know that ends up being Jerusalem, uh, which means village or city of peace. For the for, if you're ever on Jeopardy now, you know Yerushalayim, Jerusalem means city of peace. So it, we understand it's Jerusalem, and and so these temples are going to be set up, this permanent resting place for the name and the glory of God, where the children of Israel would worship Him. And God says through Moses, when He's giving the commandments to Israel, three times a year, your men of age, you know, that could be of bar mitzvah age, twenty years old and above, basically your men of the age of accountability and older are required, if they're able, to come from wherever you are in the land of Israel or scattered beyond the borders of the land of Israel and to appear before me and bring a sacrifice in Jerusalem. And so there's three times, as I said, when that happens. The first one on the Jewish calendar begins in the springtime. It's Passover. And then what our audience may not know, but I challenge you, go back and read Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy again, because you're going to find this there, is that from Passover, from this Shabbat or Sabbath that happens during the week of unleavened bread after Passover, the Israelites are commanded, begin counting for seven weeks or seven Shavuot. Begin counting 49 days. And after you finish counting on the 50th day comes that second pilgrimage feast to Jerusalem. And it's called Shavuot, Chag or uh, festival feast, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. So some may have seen in the Bible in English, Feast of Weeks. It's the same thing, Shavuot. It wasn't a Christian holiday. It was a Jewish pilgrimage feast. And then, you know, as we've talked about in other podcast episodes, Carly, the third pilgrimage feast is Sukkot or Feast of Tabernacles. A sukkah is a tabernacle, a temporary dwelling in Hebrew. So Sukkot, same idea, Shavuot, Sukkot. Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And so Shavuot is this second of three pilgrimage feasts when Jewish men, wherever they are in the world, if they could make it to Jerusalem within their means are commanded to come to Jerusalem, come to the temple, worship God and offer a sacrifice. And so the context here in this, the, the, the year that Jesus is crucified and resurrected, and then we know that 40 days after his resurrection, he ascends to be with the Father, and we all know the story. He's on the Mount of Olives. All power and authority have been given to me. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And then Jesus is off the scene. Right. He's he ascends it through the clouds and the angels kind of say, what are you standing here for? That's the Ezra. That's the new Ezra version, the NEV. What are you standing here for? In the same way that he left you, he's going to return to you. In the meantime, go fulfill the Great Commission. That's the paraphrase. And and yet there's this other obscure instruction. Wait, gather together and wait until the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, has come upon you. Because Yeshua knows the only way they're going to be able to fulfill God's assignment for them is with God's power manifest through them. And he says, the power is coming to you when I send my Ruach, my Holy Spirit, to you. And so Jesus is out of the picture. He's now with the Father. They can't see him with their eyes anymore, but they believe in him through their hearts, through the eyes of faith. They believe in him in their hearts, I should say. And the disciples gather together and begin waiting. And they wait for about 10 days. And now Shavuot comes. And in the meantime, more and more and more Jewish men are coming to Jerusalem, right? We know the story. The Holy Spirit comes, as you said, like tongues of fire. They begin speaking tongues. But it wasn't tongues in the sense of only understood to them like, like, like many 
in in the Christian world and in the Messianic Jewish world practice tongues today, right? This kind of personally edifying language that can be interpreted, but doesn't always have to be if it's just for personal devotional prayer purposes. It wasn't those kind of tongues. The Holy Spirit comes on this day of Shavuot, this pilgrimage feast, and these Jewish believers in Jesus begin speaking languages that they never knew how to speak before, but they're actual languages that can be understood by people from other parts of the world. Why does that matter? Because remember, a pilgrimage feast is happening. And I think sometimes we gloss over in Acts, right? We read Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter goes out and makes this big evangelistic speech. Stephen, others. And they're speaking in tongues that are being understood by the crowds. And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were understood by men from every nation on earth. But we don't stop to ask, wait a minute. Why the heck are men from every nation on earth standing in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? Are they just randomly there, right? It doesn't, ma- it doesn't make any sense. Like, did God summon them because he wanted them to become believers? No, they were already, I mean, in his providence, yes, but they already had to be there because it was Shavuot, it was a pilgrimage feast. And so God sent the promise of his Holy Spirit which caused men to speak in languages that, that, that could be understood by Jews from other countries so they could hear the gospel coinciding with this day on the Jewish calendar, one of only three days or three weeks of a year when all Jewish men from the known world had to be in Jerusalem. And so what better time to proclaim the gospel to the entire Jewish world than, than a Jewish pilgrimage feast. And so that Shavuot is the context here. It was an appointed time on the Jewish calendar, and it was an appointed time in the providence of God in history when the assembly of Jewish men from all over the world and the coming of the Holy Spirit coincide, and as we know, hundreds and then thousands become believers. It's just really this incredible event uh, that God set up. It was prophetic promises being fulfilled on a historically appointed date on the Jewish calendar. Yeah, that's great context, especially for those who have just thought about Pentecost and not really thought about what you just said about how there were so many people there from every tribe and every nation. You know, what were they doing there? So Ezra, is this a, is Shavuot a holiday that Jews today actually celebrate or how do you commemorate it or practice it? Yeah, it's tricky because, you know, I, I think since since the Second Temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Roman Empire and the Jewish people were scattered for almost two millennia until 1967, just shy of 1900 years later, the Jewish people through the Israel Defense Force regain control of the old city of Jerusalem of the Temple Mount. First time in 1900 years, almost two millennia that Jews have control of that space. But after 70 AD, the question in Judaism worldwide and the question that the rabbis had to deal with is, how do we keep the Jewish holidays? And in fact, how do we keep all 613 commandments found in the Torah without a sacrificial system? And why is there no sacrificial system? Because there's no temple. And so if there's no temple and there's no manifest presence of God on earth and the priests can't be assembled to do the sacrifices in the temple, what do we do? And so Shavuot fit into that bigger category of what do we do? We're now scattered to the nations of the earth outside the land of Israel. And even if we were in the land of Israel, there's no temple. And so that's part of the tricky the tricky nature of Shavuot, along with Passover and Sukkot and all the Jewish holidays, is what do we do outside the land of Israel with no temple? And that, that continues to elude rabbis today. But part of what ensued was the development of really a rabbinic Jewish religious system that added traditions that could be true. We don't we don't necessarily know for sure. 
And those traditions are added to, to Jewish observance of a lot of Jewish festivals. So one related to Shavuot is the tradition widely accepted in the Jewish world that Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of stone on Shavuot, which is interesting because God promises in Jeremiah 31, right, that the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Judah and the house of Israel, and it won't be like the one I gave their fathers, though they broke it, which was written on tablets of stone. I'll write it on tablets of human hearts. And we understand as believers, Jew and Gentile alike, that the only way, Carly, we're actually capable of being a holy people set apart for the purposes of God and fulfilling his commandments is by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? God's strengthening us in our inner man, Paul says in one of his letters. And so it's interesting, the idea, though the rabbis aren't seeing this through the lens of, of being believers in Jesus, because by and large, they reject the claim of Jesus as the Messiah. But the idea that on Shavuot in the wilderness, Israel received the law written on tablets of stone, and in Shavuot in Jerusalem, in the year that Jesus is resurrected, they receive the law written on tablets of human hearts as the Holy Spirit comes in power. And it's really an interesting parallel. But the other challenge is that makes it hard to, to know what to do with Shavuot, which is why just like it's an obscure holiday in Christendom, it's obscure in Judaism as well, is that there's something agricultural going on. And by and large, the world is not an agrarian society anymore. And why is it that God says after this, this Sabbath, this Shabbat, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I want you to count seven weeks? Because what you're actually counting is you're waiting for the readiness of a wheat and barley harvest. It's a super interesting idea. In essence, the first buds of wheat and barley are supposed to, if everything works out and there's a good rainy season the year before, kind of come up and be ready for harvest. These first fruits is the word there around the time of Passover. And then you count seven weeks. And at that time, the fields will be white or ripe for harvest. And so in the year that Jesus dies and is resurrected and ascends to be with the Father, during his resurrection appearances, we know in the gospel accounts, we know in Acts, we know from what Paul says, that he's appearing in a resurrected body to hundreds of people at a time, right? Being confirmed by many witnesses to be resurrected, to be all that he says he is. What's happening agriculturally in Israel is that the wheat and the barley are getting taller and taller and taller, and the heads of grain are getting heavier and heavier and whiter and whiter. And then on this day of Shavuot, the children of Israel understand the wheat harvest. This great harvest is now ready to be harvested. And what do you bring to God as an offering in Jerusalem? You bring part of the fullness of your harvest. And so again, the parallel there of this agricultural idea that on the same day that Jewish men from all over the known world are carrying literally bundles of wheat, this harvest to offer as a, as a first fruit sacrifice or offering uh, to God with thanksgiving in the temple, these Jewish believers in Jesus are standing up proclaiming the gospel in languages they didn't know how to speak by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who's come. And there's this great harvest of souls. So there's a harvest of wheat being brought into the temple by human hands. And there's a harvest of souls, Jewish souls. We, for it's, it's a number of years before we see numbers of Gentiles coming to faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. But in this first Shavuot, which we know, or this first Pentecost, which was the Feast of Shavuot, Jewish souls in bundles, in droves are coming into the kingdom. And it's really an awesome idea. But if we don't understand the agricultural context, we lose part of the meaning, whether in the Jewish world or in the Christian world. Does that mean, Ezra, that you're, you are like 
planting your whatever in your backyard to to practice this? Or, you know, what do you do today to celebrate Shavuot? Yeah, good question. So first of all, I have a, my wife and I have a fig tree and a lemon tree, which as the prophet said about the children of Israel coming into the land of Canaan, we did not plant. We inherited from the previous owners, same parallel there. So we'll celebrate first fruits around Passover and clip a fig sprig and a lemon blossom off the tree and, you know, say, thank you, Lord, for a great harvest in our own little mini agricultural way. But am I growing wheat, you know, fields of wheat in the Sonoran Desert that is Phoenix, Arizona, while the temperature climbs to triple digits around Shavuot? Absolutely not. So it's more, if you will, a spiritual lesson for us that we're remembering in terms of not being able to literally carry bundles of wheat in. We'll make a relatively large uh, challah. I didn't just choke on my own phlegm. It's bread that you would eat around Shabbat on a Friday night in a Jewish home. Typically in American Jewish families, actually in, in Jewish families around the world, in Israel or otherwise, people will make huge loaves of challah. We don't harvest wheat anymore, but we can go buy wheat in the form of flour at a store and we can make loaves of bread. And so the tradition in a modern adaptation continues to this day. You sort of bring these giant challah loaves into the synagogue. If you go to synagogue or just you put them down on your table as a family and you celebrate this holiday and thank God for his bounty and his abundance. But for, for those of us in the Jewish community, including myself, Carly, who are believers in Jesus and who are, are so thankful to have received the Holy Spirit, through, uh, you know, that, that God's given us as a, as a gift, as that deposit guaranteeing what's to come as believers in him. We're not just celebrating an agricultural tradition, we're celebrating a spiritual reality. And as obscure as the holiday may be in the Jewish world, in the Christian world for that matter, there's still something to be celebrated that shouldn't be lost. And I will mention in Israel to this day, though, the vast majority of Israelis reject the idea that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Israel as a nation still celebrates the holiday, not just for one day, but for two every spring. It's a national holiday. Everybody's off work. You have picnics. You're home with your family. You cut flowers. You make a lot of dairy goods like cheesecakes or souffles or whatever it is, and you just celebrate harvest and abundance. So even though we don't have a temple today, it's still it's still widely celebrated in the land of Israel. So it's basically like every other Jewish holiday, lots of food involved. That's right. We're not necessarily frying because it's still, it's like late spring and it's gross to fry. Even in Israel, it's pretty, uh, as my grandma would say, schwitzy, hot and humid uh, at that point. But lots of fatty foods and praise God, he preserved us as a people. We survived. Let's eat. Yes. Same, same tradition as pretty much every other Jewish holiday. You're right. And I do want to just point out, you know, you said something a little bit earlier about how it's more about how this is written on your heart. And so it's more of... Um, like you said, a, a spiritual holiday, something to reflect on in your heart, not so much about the hala and, and the food and whatever. But um, is this something that you would encourage Christians to celebrate? And, and how would you encourage them to do that? Yeah, you know, here's the thing. I think with other holidays we've talked about, like Hanukkah, right? Or like Passover, which sometimes corresponds with Easter and sometimes doesn't. We've said, and I'll say it for this holiday, for Shavuot as well, Carly, that there's an invitation to the Christian world, right? That the idea of Paul's uh, Romans 11 olive tree, that Gentile believers, Christians, Gentile believers in Jesus, are enjoying or are supposed to be enjoying the fatness of the root of that olive tree, which is Israel. And so while it's not a righteousness versus sinfulness, heaven versus hell, you're in good standing with God versus you're not, 
kind of obligation or commandment for for Gentile believers. There's always an invitation to connect with the Jewish calendar, to connect with the Jewish appointed times, to understand their meaning and to enjoy some of that fatness. And I would say as much as Pentecost and Shavuot in the Christian and Jewish worlds respectively are maybe more obscure or we don't know how to celebrate them or if we even should, I would say there's almost a double invitation here because Pentecost is Shavuot. Yeah, that is something to celebrate. And now you know, if you didn't know already, hey, this is a Jewish holiday and a Christian holiday. I'm celebrating God's abundance, his harvest, not only in always providing for me and my family, but also as a believer in sending me that down payment of glory, that down payment of what's to come through my sonship or daughtership being adopted into his family, the Holy Spirit. And uh, whatever denomination you're from, I think we can all agree that's an awesome thing. It's necessary in our walk as believers, and it's something to be celebrated. So obligation, no. Invitation to celebrate Shavuot and Pentecost, yes. And, you know, if you have a Jewish friend or family member, strike up that conversation. Hey, I'm celebrating Pentecost. I just learned it's actually a Jewish holiday. It was originally Shavuot. Most Jewish people are going to have no idea what you just said. And you're not saying it to say, you see, I know something you don't, or, you know, I outsmarted you. You're saying it to open up a conversation and find that common ground, which we talk about so often on the podcast, Carly, finding the common ground between a Jewish world, a Jewish worldview, a Jewish paradigm, and and those of the Christian world to have meaningful conversations where people learn about one another and maybe even deepen the significance of what we believe by understanding the the parallel context of it. Yeah, I would encourage our listeners if, you know, if you're someone who likes uh, kind of a takeaway or a to-do, go and read Acts 2 when Pentecost comes around and this podcast should be coming out right during that week or or a few weeks before. Um, just read it and think about it from the Jewish context that we just explained. You'll see all the different people gathered and the way Ezra explained why they were there. Just just read it and um, have a better understanding of, of these two holidays and the importance of them. Thanks for listening. And we hope that we've taught you something or you've learned something about Pentecost and Shavuot today. Uh, if you want more content like this, the best way to do that is to support this podcast. You can do that by going to our website, ajunagentiledisgust.org. You can donate one time or monthly, small gift or, or large. And we also have our Lost Tribes coffee that you can get delivered to your door as often as you'd like. All the details are on the website. If you're interested in entering to win a free bag of that coffee, we are doing a monthly coffee giveaway right now, and you can enter to win a free bag by texting JG to 474747. If you win, you can try it and and then hopefully buy it and have it delivered to you, like I said, as often as you'd like. So more info on the website, ajewandagentiledisgust.org. If you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love if you leave us a review. We love reading your feedback. Please share this podcast with someone you know that may be interested. You can also engage with us or follow us on social media to get all the updates about future episodes at the handle A Jew and A Gentile Discuss. If there's anything specific you want us to discuss, you can suggest that on our website. Um, again, thanks for listening and join us next week for another episode. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.